0: you're plugged in you in on this toyota's versatile suvs roll up their sleeves and take on tough jobs dress up for a night out or haul your family and friends with their spacious interiors and they're available with some real sweet tech want a hybrid suv oh yeah they got those too all with a slew of standard features so you won't break the bank get the juice at toyota.com folks
1: visit your front range toyota stores today toyota let's go places The BSN Nuggets podcast, as always, we're presented by In We Go. What is In We Go? Well, it's Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 a month. No additional costs or fees either. You heard that right. No additional fees. Literally hundreds of events in and around Denver, all over Colorado for just $39 a month. For instance, here's what you could hit up over the next few weeks. Gucci Mane and Boogie T, Avalanche vs. Blues, Buffs vs. Rams basketball, beer flights at Prost Brewing, Comedy Works. There's so much stuff on In we Go. It's crazy, guys, and it's a great deal at $39 a month. But here's where it gets really good. We've actually partnered with In we Go to give BSN listeners an awesome deal. If you go to Inwego.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe, you're actually going to get 50% off your first month. That's right. You're going to get all those events I mentioned, Hundreds more in Denver every month for just 20 bucks during your first month. If you try it, you're gonna fall in love with it. So again, go to inwego.com backslash BSN, or you can download the app for free. And as always, use promo code BSN50. It's
3: fun. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets Podcast, presented by Go.
1: Joined by a special guest Mason Plumlee. I thought he was gonna knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him <laughs> Welcome into a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wint here. Christian Clark is to my left. Brand new show. Got a lot to talk about today. Nuggets got two wins over the weekend against the Magic, against the Thunder, Saturday night on that back-to-back. I'll tell you this, Christian. I just came back from Nuggets practice here Monday morning. Everybody got a little extra pep in their step today. And compare that to where this team was at a couple weeks ago when they were losers of six of their last seven coming off a pretty brutal stretch where I said at the time, and I maintain this, I don't think the Nuggets necessarily took a step back over that stretch. I felt like they were playing really good basketball. They were just going up against some really good teams, the Milwaukee's of the world, the Houston's of the world, who I think will be probably back in that second spot in the Western Conference before long. And they were playing three and a half quarters of good basketball, just They were up against it late in games, late in the fourth, where we've seen them stumble in the past. So I thought the Nuggets were playing really good. They just lost 6-7, but a little three-game win streak. Seems like things are a bit different around Pep Center right now. It's crazy what a little streak like that can do in the midst of a season.
4: Well, they've got a lot to be proud of, in my opinion. This was such a gutsy win in Oklahoma City. I mean for them to, to not have Gary Harris in this game, to not have Will Barton, you know, down two starters on the second night of a back to back on the road against a pretty good opponent and, and come out and win that game was really, really impressive. And yeah, Morale, you know, got got pretty low there during that stretch of games where they lost six of seven. But I agree with you. I, I think Denver for the most part played pretty decent basketball throughout that stretch. You know, that that game in Memphis, I think they gave it away Jokic just w- wasn't looking for his shot at all. They should have won that game. All they had to do was score 90 points. Right. The game against Brooklyn, they should have won that game. They, they didn't play defense in that game. But really, I mean, Milwaukee, Houston, Milwaukee again in New Orleans, I thought they played pretty well for the most part in those games, and they were just close results that didn't go their way.
1: That win over the Thunder was so impressive. On a back-to-back, yes, they blew out the magic a night before, but look, the starters still played... Three quarters of giving out 100%. It's not like that game was over at halftime by any means. The Nuggets still needed to play three, three and a half quarters of good basketball to put the magic away. So it's not like they had an off day before they traveled to Oklahoma City. And the Thunder, yes, they were also on a back-to-back. It was a home back-to-back for them. So a little different than one where you play in one arena, then you fly and get into town at 3, 4 a.m., in the next city, don't have shoot around, and then play the next night. So it was impressive from that perspective. It was also impressive because they were without Gary Harris. We've talked about how he, I think, is the glue to this team, arguably their most important player over the first half of this season so far. Now that we're you know, at the quarter pole of the NBA season, I think you can make the case that he's been Denver's most valuable player so far. I'd still probably go Jokic, but you could probably make the case for Gary Harris. Where does that win for you rank this season?
4: I think it's right up there with Golden State, to, to be honest with you, you know, given all those circumstances. I mean, it's just so hard to win down two starters on the second night of a back-to-back on the road uh, in Oklahoma City. I mean, that, that's really, really difficult to do.
1: And this was against a Thunder team that had been playing really well, right? I mean, the Thunder got off to a slow start this season, but they were seven and two, I believe in their last nine before that game, so this was against a thunder team that had been clicking on all cylinders, especially on the defensive end of the floor too,
4: yeah, and this was game number twenty, so you know a quarter of the season in the books for the nuggets and I think you know real quick if you want to zoom out, Denver's thirteen and seven um that's. A, you know, a really good record or a pretty good record after 20 games. I think the Nuggets probably would have taken that. And if you look at their point differential too, they got the third best point differential in the NBA. Um, if, if you look at cleaning the glass, they get the point differential of a 58-59 win team. I think there are a ton of encouraging signs from the Nuggets, you know, during this first
1: quarter of the season and especially in that OKC game. Yeah, and now at the 20 game mark, there's still some things that are a little wonky with the standings. Some teams like Utah started out playing a ton of games on the road. That's why a lot of people think Utah, yeah, they're 9-11 and right now. If you look at the standings, they're 14th in the Western Conference. But then again, you know they're just four and a half games behind the Clippers and Warriors for the top spot in the West. Right now, point differential is actually a better thing to look at when you're trying to assess where a team's at than actual win losses. And if you look at Denver, like you said, third best point differential in the league, best point differential in the Western Conference, better than the Warriors, better than the Clippers who are uh, second and fourth. Oklahoma City, or sorry, the Clippers and Warriors are actually third and fourth. Oklahoma City is second in point differential in the West. So that's look at where Denver's at right now. Uh, they're in a good spot. They have a tough portion of their schedule upcoming here, um, but you know they've survived a stretch where they lost six out of seven. I think that's a pretty good sign for this team. This might be a good place to start talking about the overall makeup of this team right now. Uh, like you just mentioned, eighth overall in offense, back up to fourth overall in defense after a couple... Really good defensive games, I thought, against the Magic, and then again against the Thunder. I want to start with Tory Craig. Gary Harris does not play. I think we were a little unsure of what direction Mike Malone might go with the starting lineup. I thought, especially considering the fact that the Thunder had started Dennis Schroeder at the two in the previous game, uh, before they took on Denver, that maybe Monte Morris could get into the starting lineup, but no, the Thunder went back to more of a traditional look. They put Timothy Lawu Lu- there at shooting guard, Denver counter with Torrey Craig, which based on the fact that the Thunder went that direction with their starting lap, I wasn't too surprised to see Torrey Craig in there. Uh, but you got to think the reason the Nuggets went with him was because he's actually played pretty good defense against Russell Westbrook over the past year. Remember last season in, uh, I don't think it was in the final stretch of the season, but at some point in the middle of the year, he matched up on Russell Westbrook for most of the game, held him in check or really held him about as in check as you can hold Russell Westbrook. And then I felt like he had another really good defensive showing against Westbrook this time around.
4: Yeah, he was excellent on Westbrook. And the book on Westbrook is, look, he you got to force him to take jump shots because his three-point shot, he likes to go to it. It's pretty shaky. If you let him get to the rim, he's just going to kill you all game. And Torrey Craig did a masterful job of, you know, leaving him enough cushion where he couldn't blow by him, where Westbrook felt like, okay, I should take this three. Westbrook got up 12 threes in this game. He missed 11 of them.
1: Well, for Westbrook should never be taking 12 threes in a game. He's not a good enough three-point shooter to be shooting that many threes. I'm sure this is one of the Highest three point totals he shot in in his career. I mean, twelve threes is not good enough for Russell Westbrook, who is not a good three point shooter normally. This year, he's under twenty percent from three. He's nine of fifty one from three this year. So, Ooh. Russell Westbrook, if you want to stand out beyond the arc and shoot threes, be my guest. You know whose job I wouldn't want to have, Billy Donovan's. Like, can you can you even say anything to to Westbrook? Like, how do you how do you gently say that to Westbrook? Um, you probably don't change your delivery, but. I mean, you know, regardless of what your delivery is, if you're Billy Donovan, it's going to be going right in one ear and out the other, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, I know what I would want to do if I was Billy Donovan. I would cut all of those, splice all 12 of those threes together and then just put the Michael Jordan, you know, stop it, get some health gif at the end of all those clips. But I don't think that would go over with Westbrook very well.
1: (laughs) You don't think that would go over well in a film session?
4: Uh, Probably not.
1: He's like, I'm wearing Jordans on my feet right now. I'm sponsored by Jordan. Don't use the Jordan gif against me. They just fire up the projector and it's just a montage of 13 missed threes in a row.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, It'd be a nightmare. But Craig did, did an awesome job of, you know, stopping Westbrook in this game. And it's so funny. I mean, the Thunder have two other really good players and Paul George and Steven Adams, but they're so dependent on Westbrook just because of who he is and how he plays. I mean, if you can shut him down, you pretty much shut the Thunder down and that's what happened.
1: There's probably not a team that's more reliant on one player still than the Thunder. I mean, we said this two years ago when Westbrook had the triple-double record and he really did not have any help. Like His second best offensive player might've been Serge Baca or Steven <laughs> Adams I mean, now they got Paul George. Yeah, they're still not flush with offensive options. They got Dennis Schroeder now. They've got a couple of shooters here and there. Make make no mistake, this is not an incredibly versatile offensive team. Paul George, an elite, elite player. He probably still doesn't get as many opportunities as he should playing alongside Russell Westbrook, which still is a reason why I can't believe he re-signed in Oklahoma City. But... uh the Thunder is still so dependent on Russell Westbrook, right? If you shut him down, you're probably going to beat the Thunder. You're probably just going to be able to outscore them because like we saw against the Nuggets, if you shut Westbrook down, this Thunder team is probably going to struggle to reach 100 points. So Nuggets did that. Of course, nobody really outside of Westbrook can shoot from three or not Westbrook, but outside of Paul George can shoot from three. Last time I checked, the Thunder were 30th in three-point percentage. I can't imagine they've climb too much from there. This was back when the Nuggets were you know, 29th, and I was like, man, if they drop below the Thunder, they're in trouble because this team has literally no shooters. Alex Sabrinas is probably their best shooter. He plays like 10 minutes a game. Uh, so the fact that the Nuggets were able to contain Westbrook and-, and Torrey Craig really did a masterful job there, helped them out. I don't know. Do you feel like he's better at guarding point guards than Guarding wings. I don't know why, but we've seen him shut down Westbrook. We've seen him play pretty good defense on Drew Holiday at times. I don't know. That's just kind of an eye test observation.
4: Here's my theory on Craig's defense I think he's great against guards who are elite slashers but have shaky outside shots because he doesn't have to worry about the jump shot at all. If Craig can just sit on the drive, I think he's a lot better. But if he's got to worry about the threat of the jump shot, then you know, he can just look average sometimes in the defensive end.
1: And there's probably something to that because you can slough off him a little bit. And then Craig is so much bigger than these point guards at 6'6", 220, whatever he is. Like, he's going to have 20 pounds on everybody he's guarding. He's going to have a couple inches probably on these point guards. So he can just kind of use his body and frame to stay in front of him and out-muscle him then.
4: Yeah, I mean, Craig did it on defense. He also did it on the glass. Grabbed 10 rebounds in this game, 6 on the offensive glass. You know his his rebounding performance in the offensive glass almost reminded me of that game against Milwaukee late in the season last year. He was just everywhere in this game. I think it was Torrey's you know far and away best game of the season. And I think you get a lot have to give him a lot of credit because look he'd fallen out of the rotation um, as the month of November wore on. Um, he got DNP CDs in four of Denver's previous eight games going into the OKC game, and he came out and just busted his butt. Um, Tory Craig and I don't mean this, any, you know, any disrespect or anything like that, he's a great
1: 10th or 11th guy to have in your team. He is. He, he is great in that role. I want to touch on what you said about the rebounding, because that's definitely true. He is a great rebounder at the small forward position, and that probably goes back to the style he's played before he got to the NBA in Australia at six foot six. You got to believe in that league, he was just athletic enough and big enough and strong enough to just get rebounds when he wanted to. So I'm sure he crashed the glass hard, you know, even though he's a natural small forward there. And that certainly seemed like it's carried over to the NBA. If you look at the games where Tory Craig has logged a lot of minutes here, he's usually going to bring down a lot of rebounds for you. He played 27 minutes against the Warriors earlier this season, nine rebounds. 22 minutes back in October against the Bulls. Four rebounds, six rebounds a piece in uh, games where he was still in the rotation, playing 18 and 21 minutes against the Cavs and Jazz earlier this year. He had four rebounds against the Magic back on Friday, and like you said, 10 of them against the Thunder. And a lot of those come on the offensive glass, too, and that's huge. You need guys on your team who aren't afraid to do the dirty work and Tory Craig's definitely that guy because he doesn't care how many, ga- how many minutes he plays. Sure, he'd like to be out there with the starters. Sure, he'd like to play 20 minutes a night. But you definitely need guys on your roster that are fine not playing one day and then they'll be inserted right back into the rotation and give you 100% and not really miss a beat.
4: Yeah, Torrey doesn't really have an ego at all and I think that's a theme up and down this Nuggets roster to be honest with you. There're not a lot of egos, you know, starting with the team's best player Nikola Jokic all the way down. Um another guy who is pretty egoless is Mason Plumley. Um a guy who has been a starter in this league, Mason Plumley has been a, a superstar in in a low usage role. He's playing the fewest minutes of his of his career. I mean, even fewer than his rookie season, but Look, I I just think he was so good against OKC, and he's been so good
1: all year, really. Plumlee, yeah. (laughs) He's been incredible. Michael Blone spoke at practice here on Monday about him, called him a six-man-of-the-year candidate if you're looking at impact, not statistics, because Mason Plumlee's stats won't jump off the page. And look, he's not a real contender for six-man-of-the-year because we know Unfortunately, that that award usually just goes to the sixth man off the bench who scores the most. It doesn't necessarily go to the guy who impacts uh, the game the most. If it did, yeah, I think Plumley is a legitimate candidate right now. If you look at his advanced numbers, they speak for themselves. Who has the number one net rating on the Nuggets right now? It's Mason Plumley. Well, it's really Will Barton, but he only played in two games. Other than that, it's Mason Plumley. Who's got the fifth best defensive RPM in the league right now? It's Mason Plumlee. So the advanced numbers, the plus-minus numbers, show the impact he's making. And we got a question about Plumlee on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, which I want to go to right now, because him and Nikola Jokic, I think, are forming the center tandem that the Nuggets really envisioned they would have when they traded for Plumley two years ago. Let's go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline real quick and hear that question, then we'll react to it.
0: Christian Harrison, this is EJ Holloway in Jacksonville, Florida, just uh, giving you guys a call uh, regarding our front court. Um, I'm loving me some Mason Plumley and Jokic, and it sounds like uh, they're getting some notice as one of the better um, center tandems in the league. Um, and I think they actually played uh, several minutes on the floor together um, in that Hawks game where we just blew the Hawks away and then we go and blow Orlando away. Um, It's a nice two-win streak, Um, not a big margin uh, between, um, you know, the the high-scoring offense of the Denver Nuggets and uh, the lower-scoring teams of the NBA. So I guess my question for you is, in your opinion, Harrison, um, do you think that Jokic and Plumlee are a top five center tandem in the league? And if not, who are the top five? If they are, who are the other top four? Um, and this is the um, the one and two at the five spot. Um, so our starter and our bench player, uh just just out of pure curiosity, in your opinion, um, you know, if those two are, are top five in the league and uh who are the other uh top five one and two at the five. God, that's a lot of numbers. Sorry, Nuggets fan base. Um loving the Denver Nuggets pod and uh, I'm gonna continue to listen. Uh this may be an unworthy question to add to the pod, but uh wow, what a great win streak here. i uh, you know, I'm not one to point out negatives by any means. I, I like what I'm seeing from all the guys. Even Jamal Murray in this Orlando game looks like he's picked up his point guarding duties um, quite a bit. So, you know, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing here. Monte Morris is still on a roll. And this team, I think, uh, you know what, even through the losses, I I thought we'd be fine. I still think we're fine. Um, Orlando is a testament to that. The Hawks, we were going to roll over regardless. But um, what do you guys think? We're going to carry on this streak, or is it a fluke? All right. Catch you all later. Thank you, and go Nuggets.
1: All right, thanks for the question, EJ. If you guys do have questions for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394, 1-800-BSN-8394. What was just your impression of Plumlee the other night against – Oklahoma City and what he's been able to do this year. Those blocks
4: were incredible. Uh, Plumlee was able to come up with four of them. He, he had one on Luau um, Cabarro. Did I did I butcher that? Perfect. Wow. Um, and it, you know it looked like almost a sure dunk, and, and Plumlee blocked it clean, and and Cab, Luau Cabarro just ended up right in his butt. Plumlee had another one late in the game where, you know, he jumped up to connect, contest one shot, and then he was on his way down when he poked the ball out of Stephen Adams' hands. That essentially sealed the game for Denver. You know, one of the things that Plumlee is doing really well this season is he's forcing turnovers. Uh, he's third on the team in stocks that the stat Bill Simmons invented, steals plus blocks, uh, with 42, even though he's eighth in total minutes. That's that's pretty remarkable production. I mean, just his, his energy, I think has been uh, outstanding this season.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like he's been stealing some of Nikola Jokic's minutes lately. And I don't know if that's partly because Nikola looks really tired out there, especially when we're talking about minutes at the beginning of fourth quarters. But I feel like we're seeing Plumlee slowly kind of chip into Jokic's minutes, especially in the fourth when like we've seen Jokic come on like we did in that Thunder game at what, like the five-minute mark or the six-minute mark, and then at the end of the second quarter, too. I mean, he's becoming tough to take out of the game because the plus-minus numbers, like I just mentioned, speak for themselves.
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I think this is the perfect use of him. Um, Definitely. You know, a backup on a really good team. I did think that, you know, Denver kind of went through a rough patch there in the third quarter when Jokic, you know, picked up a couple of stupid fouls. And there was Plumlee and
1: Millsap and Craig all out there on the floor at the same time. But yeah, I mean... It, you it, know, the, the Millsap-Plumlee combo is not one that's going to be very fruitful for Denver, I don't think. Like, out of all the big man combinations the Nuggets can roll out there, Plumlee-Jokic, plumlee Lyles, Plumlee and Millsap, or jokic Lyles, Plumlee and Millsap is probably the worst one out of those. I would... Probably rather Nuggets play Plumley and Jokic rather than Plumley and Millsap. I just don't think that's a good pairing, really. Yeah, I mean,
4: you get kind of plotting on offense once you go to that. Um, you know, kind of going back to the question real quick. I mean, the Nuggets definitely have one of the best center rotations in the NBA. Um, you know, whoever out there is listening to this podcast and is good at Photoshop, can you please do me a huge favor and maybe tweet it at BSN, tweet it at me, C Clark Hoops. I want to see. Thomas Welsh, Mason Plumlee, and Nicole Jokic cutouts of the, of their faces on a Hydra, like a three-headed Hydra or something like that. I want to yes. see Thomas Welsh's big, goofy-ass mug on a Hydra next to Mason Plumlee and Nicole Jokic. Yes.
1: I think we need that for sure. We need to plaster it up on Pepsi Center. Like, you know how the Nuggets, or not the Nuggets, the Broncos have those huge banners at Mile High Stadium just with, you know, it was Demarius Thomas, but now it's probably like Philip Lindsay Emmanuel Sanders and Vaughn Miller. We just need that of of the three-headed monster at center. I mean, can you think of anything more menacing (laughs) than Thomas Welsh's face? No, (laughs) actually. Let's answer the question though. Where does the Plumlee and Jokic starting center and backup center tandem rank in the league? I mean, just kind of scrolling through some teams throughout the league and their Center combinations, and partly it's tough because the Nuggets are one of the rare teams who actually play two true centers big minutes. A lot of the teams I'm thinking about when just seeing who might have the best starting center and backup center combination, a lot of those backup centers are fours masquerading as fives. I mean, that's just how the league is right now. So, the teams that come to mind for me for having really good centers and really good backup centers Boston, Al Horford. Aaron Baines. You've got Toronto with Pascal Siakam who's starting at center these days and Jonas Valanciunas who's coming off the bench or they've played Serge Ibaka off the bench before but those two guys nice little starting center backup center combination there. In Portland Yusef Nurkic and Zach Collins who's been playing a lot of center and closing some games at center for them. I don't know who you want to consider the backup center in New Orleans to be. I mean, Julius Randle plays a lot of backup five. If you're considering him a center, Davis and Randle, uh, that's got to be one of the best starting center and backup center combination in the league. So it's a tough argument because not a lot of teams play those true backup fives. But even if you're counting those teams, counting a Randle and Anthony Davis center combination, even if you're counting a Nurkic and Zach Collins center combination. Jokic and Plumlee are probably right up there with those guys. I'd say they're in the top five.
4: Yeah, definitely in the top five. I would I would maybe throw Marcus Saul and Jaron Jackson Jr. into the mix too a little bit, although I think that what the Nuggets have is better than that. How good has Jaron Jackson Jr.
1: been this year? Well, uh,
4: I... I, we got to tune our own horns a little bit because I think we got most of the things right with this draft. We were both on yep. the, the same page that Luca and Jaron Jackson Jr. were the best two prospects, um,
1: pretty clearly. And I'd say now, at the quarter pull of the NBA season, they still are the two best prospects coming out of the draft. I don't think anybody's really done anything otherwise to to change that. DeAndre Ayton's been good. He, I mean, I I'm not too surprised by the numbers he's posting. Trey Young, been about what we thought he was going to be, high scoring, super inefficient though. We were both on the same page, like you said, about Luka Doncic being really good. I'm not sure how you could have looked at what he's done throughout his career before the NBA and, and really thought otherwise. So, yeah, no surprise in the draft for us. Yeah, and we're pretty high in Shea Gilchrist-Alexander too, yep. and he, he's been really good. He might, this is a big tangent, but he might be the third best rookie right now. I mean, I... Take what he's done on a winning team over what uh, DeAndre Ayton has done in Phoenix for sure. The one guy
4: I think I missed on was Wendell Carter Jr. Um, you know, I didn't, I don't think I watched enough of him, but I, I was lukewarm warm on him, and he's clearly going to be good.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I liked him. Him versus Ayton is an interesting argument though, because it's like two polar opposites, right? Ayton, you know who he's kind of going to be. He's going to be the scorer. He's going to be the big numbers guy. Wendell Carter seems like more the all around guy though. And I mean, that's probably who you want in this modern day. That was a bit of a tangent. Let's get back to the Thunder game. Before we do though, I want to tell you about our friends over at Total Beverage. Probably already know from listening to this podcast that Total Beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado, but now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge, to Erie. My new apartment falls in the North Metro area. I actually had them delivered to my house the other night, Saturday night, before this Thunder game got started. And you can't have that also because they've also got this really great deal for BSN listeners right now. Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. That's the caveat. You got to use their website and app. You also got to use promo code BSN10. That's how you can save that $10 off a $50 purchase for all your holiday parties and have it delivered to your door. It was quick. It was easy. Like I said, I did it this weekend. So if you live in the North Metro area, anywhere from Wheat Ridge to Erie, you can get Total Beverage delivered to your door and take advantage of this uh, special offer for a limited time. Promo code BSN10 for $10 off a $50 order for all your holiday parties. Also, the deal they've always got going with us, you can get $10 off your next delivery order. does not have to be for $50 or more. You get that by using promo code BSN10 on their app. You got to download the Total Beverage app for that. BSN10 for $10 off your next delivery order. Christian, Jamal Murray's night. 40 minutes. It's a lot of minutes for Murray. 22 points, 8 rebounds. Eight assists. He was a plus four overall. what do you think of his night? He's had a up and down season, I'd call it. We've documented it pretty well in this podcast. His shot's been a bit erratic. Has shown some encouraging signs of breaking out of a slump. I don't think he's there quite yet. He was two of six from three the other night. What'd you see from him against the Thunder? I
4: thought this game against OKC was one of his best overall games of the season. I think you can make a case that it was his best passing game of the season. Murray had eight assists in this game. And, you know, we've talked almost ad nauseum about, you know, Jamal Murray kind of struggling with the playmaking aspects of playing point guard this season, getting his team into the offense, finding Nicole Jokic on the, the pick and roll specifically. I thought Murray did an excellent job of finding Jokic on that role in this game. Um, if you go read Golden Nuggets, there are three highlights there clipped of Murray getting the ball to Jokic in the pick and roll. Um, two of those came in the fourth quarter when the Thunder were threatening to make that comeback. You know, I thought Jokic and Murray had pretty good chemistry last year, um, and for whatever reason, they, they just haven't looked like they're on the same page this year for for a lot of stretches. I mean, you've seen the frustration boil over you know, from both sides, really. just watching the body language during games. But they were on the same
1: page in this game, and that's so important for Denver moving forward. Yeah, you broke it down well on those Golden Nuggets. And if you guys aren't subscribed to B.S. in Denver, I I think our Golden Nuggets series that we run after every game is a good reason to subscribe. I think that makes the subscription well worth it. Christian usually does those. He kills them every time. Observations, quotes from the locker room, Video breakdowns from the game. It's pretty much observations from that night, super in depth at a super high level. If you guys aren't subscribed, we've had Black Friday deals running all weekend. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, you still might be able to get in on that deal. Uh, so if you're not subscribed, that's a reason to get in now. But, anyways, yeah, I agree with what you said. Uh, Jamal Murray and Jokic seem to be on the same page, or or as close to the same page as they've been all year. He had a couple highlight-level passes, which is something we don't usually see from Murray. Had the three turnovers, uh, which is something he's got to work on, but the eight assists were were definitely a, a high point for him. And... It's something that you know he's just going to have to work at. I agree. For some re- whatever reason, the chemistry with Murray and the starting unit just hasn't been there. And people like to say, yeah, you know, Jamal Murray should be coming off the bench. He's not a good fit with the starting group. Well, last year, this was one of the best starting lineups in the league. And through two games with Will Barton healthy, it was also one of the best starting lineups in the league. Like, they've done it before. Just for whatever reason... They're not clicking this year, and uh, I think they'll figure things out. I think Murray and the starters is still a good fit long term, and uh, I think this game against the Thunder was a step towards, like you said, rediscovering that that rhythm and connection between specifically Murray and Jokic. Yeah, it's
4: just so critical for whoever is playing point guard out there to find Jokic on the roll because. Jokic is just deadly when he gets the ball in the move like that, you know, twelve to fifteen feet away from the basket, where he can really pick apart a defense. He's got that floater, which is is one of the best shots in his arsenal. Really uncommon by the way, to, to see a center with, with such a, a feathery floater like, like Jokic, but that action is so important for what Denver does.
1: I will say Murray with the second unit, which is something we've seen pretty much throughout this entire season so far, throughout twenty games. I think that's a great move by Michael Malone. Um, Murray with the starters. Look, Jamal Murray is a guy who is a score-first, natural playmaker. In Denver's starting lineup, there's a lot of mouths to feed. You know, Nicole Jokic is there. Gary Harris is there. When he's healthy, Will Barton is there. Paul Millsap is there, too. He's going to get his looks within the offense. There's a lot of people that need touches in that starting lineup. When Jamal Murray's playing with the bench he can be that de facto number one option alongside of Mason Plumlee, alongside of Trey Lyles, next to Malik Beasley and Monte Morris, who are lower usage players than uh, the Nuggets starters. So when Jamal is with that bench unit, he he can kind of be that number one guy, something he can't really be with the starters. So I think that's good for him. It's helped this bench unit and... By the time you're listening to this, it might already be out, but I've got a lot of words coming on the Nuggets bench unit and how so far this season they've been the best bench in the league. But I think Jamal Murray's a big part of that, being the number one option there, and his scoring instincts have really kind of complemented those other four guys with the bench pretty well. They definitely have one of the
4: best benches in the league. It's been so fun to watch all season and. You know they're a little short-handed right now, even because Wancho ha- has had to slide into the starting lineup with Will Barton s- sidelined. I mean, just imagine—you know—how much more firepower they add w- when Wancho has to go back to the bench. I mean, I, I think that uh, Monte Morris and Mason Plumley are-, are kind of the glue that that holds everything together for that unit. Mm-hmm. Trey Lyles, you know, one of his best games or back-to-back solid games from him: six for six from the field, 16 points against OKC. So encouraging signs there but it was it was kind of funny after the magic game because Mason Plumley brought up Monte Morris unsolicited. You know, he was just asked about his performance on the game and he just said, "Monte has been
1: so huge for this team. You guys can see that." I thought that was pretty telling too. Yeah, uh, he has been so huge. I'll tease this stat here from uh, this piece I've got going up on BSN Denver here on Monday, but there's only been two lineups in the league that have played really more than, like, 50 minutes that feature at least three bench players. And the only two teams to play lineups more than 50 minutes that feature at least three bench players are the Magic and the Nuggets. And the Nuggets five of Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Trey Lyles, and Mason Plumlee has played 98 minutes. Uh, They've outscored their opponent by 24 points in that span, they have a 9.1 net rating, 110.5 offensive rating, 101.5 defensive rating. I went through and looked at every team's most used bench lineup. Like The Nuggets not only play their bench and a predominantly bench lineup more than every other team in the league other than the Magic, they also have the best predominantly bench lineup in the league you know, with those five. So it's not a stretch at all to say that Right now, they have the bench in the league, the best bench in the league. They probably do, and it's really easy to see when stacked up against every other team's most used bench lineup. Those guys really complement each other. I would still say that Monte Morris is the most integral piece to this Nuggets bench. I mean, a team makes everything run. like He is the key cog there. Uh, Mike Malone lets him call his own plays out of timeouts, which is pretty rare I'd say for a second year guy to get that responsibility let alone a second year guy who only played 25 minutes his rookie season to just be given the reins of the bench unit and you know be able to go out there and just call plays how he sees them and uh, look for mismatches out of timeouts uh, so it's a lot of responsibility for Morris there but you know he's uh really backed it up and he's had an amazing year. Talk about six man of the year candidates. He might have a little more realistic shot than uh Mason Plumlee. Oh, did
4: you bring that up when Michael Malone mentioned Mason Plumlee today? You say, but what about Monte no, Morris,
1: coach? I shouldn't have. I'm sure he would have uh, doubled down there though. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if Will Barton's not going to win sixth man of the year for what he did last year, it's going to be tough for one of those guys to win it. Yeah. Maybe they should run in a dual ticket,
4: Monte Morris and Mason <laughs> Plumlee. Just cut the trophy in half.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I want to go back to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline real quick. We got a question about Nikola Jokic, particularly about his scoring in the fourth, but we also have some other thoughts about Jokic and his performance against OKC and really his performance over these last few games here. So let's go back to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, then we'll chat about what we've seen from Jokic over the last week or so.
5: Hello, this is Corey from Florida. A couple of comments on the game last night against Orlando. I mean, we, we just dominated that game That was that was needed, especially... Uh, going into Oklahoma City, some observations: J- Jamal Murray, he he had a great game, I thought, uh, with his defense. Uh, he had a couple of turnovers, no big deal though, because he was he was making a lot of good decisions attacking, um, and he he was making the right decisions when shooting the ball, didn't seem hesitant. Um, and Nikola Jokic, man, this this guy, and his his uh, passing. And rebounding, he doesn't have to score to affect the game. I, I really think um, he he knows how to to control a basketball game and make his impact uh, early in the game. But I don't think he quite knows how to do that in the fourth quarter. I was wondering what you guys think about that it, evolution of Jokic's game. Do you do you think he's figuring out how to to close games because we don't see him get a lot of shots up in the fourth quarter when the game is close, or making the same kind of plays he makes in the second, the first, second, and third quarter in the fourth quarter. Uh, what do you think about him learning how to close games? And of course, Trey Lyles, he he goes off last night <laughs> after you mentioned him him not fitting in. So he he looks good. It's good that he's attacking. But um, what do you think about Jokic in, in closing games? Going on, uh, going ahead into the future. Thank you guys for taking my call. And go Nuggets.
1: Yeah, thanks, Corey, for the call. He's asking about Jokic's scoring in the fourth quarter. It's been a hot topic on this podcast and also throughout uh, any type of Nuggets conversation you're having right now. Jokic against the Thunder, he finished with 16 points, a rough shooting night for him, 6-20 of 20 from the field. Felt like he did take some strides to being more aggressive in the fourth quarter, though. It's 3-8 of eight from the field in the fourth for nine points, got to the foul line four times, hit a couple clutch shots down the stretch. So I felt like he took a step in the right direction that way. But his three-point shot, Christian, like, what's going on? This is a guy who shot at near 40% from three last year. It seems like right now his three-point shot has just left him. Shooting
4: 25% in the month of November on threes on 3.7 attempts per game. 0 for 7 against OKC, over for 3 against Orlando, 1 for 5 against Milwaukee. You know, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, Jokic just looks like he's, you know, thinking about it a a little too much right now. And I do think that Scott Hastings brought up a pretty good point on on the broadcast. I I believe it was against Minnesota. Jokic, I don't think, is the the best at having that, that next play mentality. I think sometimes he can let mistakes compound and he thinks about the, those misses for a while instead of just moving on.
1: Yeah. He's got to have the next play mentality that really Mike Malone's preached with a lot of his guys. Look, like it's got to be tough with young guys, especially, and on a team that's so deep. I'm sure a lot of these guys, like the Malik Beasley's of the world, the Trey Lowell's of the world, it's got to be tough when you miss a shot and you're looking over your shoulder at... Know, a Wancho or Amante Morris, who can make those shots every time you miss it and feel the pressure that comes with that. I mean, Jokic just got to realize he doesn't have to look over his shoulder, right? Like, no matter how many shots he misses, nobody's going to be taking his playing time. I-, I said at the beginning of the show how it seems like Mason Plumley's been chipping into a couple minutes here and there of Jokic's playing time. Look, Mason Plumley isn't going to take minutes from. Nikola Jokic if Jokic is playing up to his standards or even close to his standards on both ends of the floor we've spoken about countless times this season already how well Jokic has played on the defensive end of the floor the effort he's showing there his ability to get up high out on the floor when defending pick and rolls his what he's done in terms of his help side defense this year rotating off the ball it's been impressive communicating being a vocal guy it's been really impressive out there especially on defense offensively though he's kind of been out of rhythm and you know I think that goes back to that game in Memphis you know two three weeks ago now where we first started to see that and his three-point shot yeah it kind of really hasn't uh he hasn't found that rhythm with that. Maybe he needs his grandfather yelling in his ear again like he detailed ever so eloquently last year.
4: Oh, godfather, Nbosavaj yes. Vagic? Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah. the guy.
1: that's the guy. Uh, yeah, I'd like to work with nabosa Vaj-
4: Vagic. Uh, he, he sounds like an interesting dude. Um, we actually did a Q and a with him last spring, but um, that's a different subject. Um, you know, I guess how Jokic continues to rank so high in these advanced metrics like, like RPM is because he's been a little bit better on the defensive end because, you know, he is scuttling a little bit on offense, you know, 47% from the field right now, 31 and percent from three. Those are significantly lower marks than what he's posted the last two seasons. But look, I think Jokic's shot is going to be fine over the long haul and the Nuggets are going to be fine as long as they continue to play Jokic ball and you know, Jokic's shot doesn't even really have to be falling for them to play this style of offense. I think they've done a pretty good job of it the last couple games. As long as Jokic is in rhythm and, you know, making those those passes that we're accustomed to, Denver's going to be fine.
1: It's interesting. Jokic is averaging, averaging 16.6 points per game this year. I got to admit that's quite a bit lower than what I thought he'd be putting up on a night-to-night basis. I thought Jokic was going to come into this year – with an aggressive mindset looking to score in a similar fashion to how he finished last year. Throughout the Nuggets, I'd say first seven eight games, that was the case. And then uh, starting in that Cleveland game, at Cleveland, he played 22 minutes, scored four points. He had uh, that streak of four straight single-digit games, and he had the 37 points against Memphis, of course. And then His offensive numbers have been up and down, 20 points one night, 12 points the next night, 25 points one night, 7.6 points the next night. He's scoring at a lower level than I thought he would entering the season. My question for you is, is this 16.6 figure, is that around what we should expect from Jokic for the rest of the year, you think? Or are we going to see his scoring average raise up a little more as the season goes on. What would you put your money on right now?
4: I think it'll pick up and I think Will Barton coming back is gonna be big for Jokic too. I think Will Barton is really the second best player on this roster behind Monte Morris at getting the ball to Jokic in his spots. So Jokic is gonna be fine and you know, I I'd probably still bet on him, you know, averaging somewhere north of eighteen points per game.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we'll see his numbers start to climb a little bit against the Lakers he should have a big game here uh, coming up on Tuesday night got one more question to get to on the total beverage fan hotline we also got some other thoughts here when looking ahead over these next couple Nuggets matchups we'll get to that on the other side we'll be right back
3: are you in search of natural relief from your daily stresses Well, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-rich, hemp-oil-infused coffee that is non-psychoactive, helps reduce pain naturally, keeps those coffee jitters away, and so much more.
5: I started drinking it because I have degenerative arthritis and I would prefer to drink coffee that has natural ingredients in it for healing and this coffee treats the inflammatory process that happens from having degenerative arthritis.
3: That was Robin. She's been drinking Strava Craft Coffee every day for months now and she is so happy with the results.
5: I would recommend it to America, to everyone, because it is a fantastic product. It delivers, it does what it says it's going to do, and it's amazing. Put
3: your body back in balance with Strava Craft Coffee and see how good you feel. Order online today and use promo code BSN2018 for 20% off. That's BSN2018.
1: All right, welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here on a Monday. Got one more question to get to you from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. Let's go there right now.
2: Hello, Harrison and Christian. This is Evan from Castle Rock, a.k.a. Ranchman, going Saturday morning following the win over the Magic. Today I'd like to suggest five questions for Coach Malone. One, a recent look at statistics reveals that Nikola Jokic is averaging 30 minutes per game, which at that time was 83rd in the NBA. Most often, he enters the game in the fourth quarter starting around the six-minute mark. Against the Timberwolves, he entered the game with eight minutes left. Is his time on the floor in the fourth quarter due to conditioning, or will be your strategy that Nikola plays eight or more minutes per game in the fourth quarter going forward if the contest is tight? Two. Are trap games real, or are they excuse? Three, coach, do you read blogs and listen to podcasts? Does it make you think that fans and writers are wannabe coaches? Isn't it true that only people without a life call into podcasts? Four, there's been a pattern of missed and blocked soft layups, which is seemingly correlated to not getting fouls called on the opponent to the same extent that the Nuggets are called for a foul. Have you directed the players to drive harder to the rim in order to increase the number of free throws? Or is this not the reason the referees don't reward the Nuggets with as many free throws as their opponents? And finally, what will be the rotation when Will Barton and Hosea Thomas return to the lineup? Thank you. I'm out.
1: All right, thanks, Evan, for the question. You want to take a crack at any of those?
4: Oh, Ranchman. Um Ranchman, I need to know what you do. Uh for your job. You seem like a very thorough person. I need to know what you do professionally. Um, I'll say two things. Jokic, you know, his, his minutes, a slight decrease this year. I think that's due to two things. I think the conditioning is certainly a part of it. I think a couple weeks back when Michael Malone called out unnamed players conditioning level, I think Jokic was probably one of the guys he was talking about. And I think the other factor that's contributing to Jokic's not being on the floor probably quite as much as the Nuggets would like is Picking up silly fouls. He's picking up a ton of dumb fouls recently. You know, he always likes to play these games of chicken. He (laughs) needs to cut those games of chicken out of his game completely. I'm sick and tired of it. Um, Yeah,
1: and also Mason Plumlee's playing well, right? The the fact that the Nuggets don't really miss a beat. I mean, Jokic is the better player. He elevates the Nuggets ceiling and floor probably, but the fact that Plumlee is playing so well means that you don't have to play Jokic as many minutes you don't have to play him 35 minutes to put you in a good position to win. I'd agree. If Jokic was in a little better shape, then you could probably play him the 35, 36 minutes a game, and he'd still have more energy at the end of the games. I mean, it's not hard to see. You can see him struggling you know, to catch his breath at times running up and down the floor. It's not anything groundbreaking there. You can just see that from watching the game. I thought Evan had a good question there about the drives to the rim. Here's a statistic for you. This is diving deep into NBA.com. The Nuggets are averaging 36.4 drives per game, per second spectrum, and NBA.com advanced statistics. That's 25th in the league. That's towards the bottom. Last season, they were averaging... 41.8 41.8 drives per game. So there's been a drop off there, and last season that was good for 15th in the league. So there's a drop off there on drives per game. I think we see that. Uh, I see we I think we see that result in the fact that the Nuggets haven't really been getting to the line a whole lot over uh, the past few weeks. They did a good job of getting to the line in Oklahoma City, but there have been a couple games as of late where Denver has not attempted a ton of free throws. uh, And I think we've seen the Nuggets settle for some mid-range jumpers from time to time. So I think that could be a a result there of the kind of lack of free throws that we've seen in the past. Nuggets just aren't taking the ball to the hole as much as they were last year. You know who's the Nuggets leader in drives per
4: game last season? I'm gonna say Gary Harris. Will Barton with 8.7, mm. and uh, I, I do think that's one reason why you're seeing a little bit sl- less slashing. Uh,
1: Will Barton's probably the best slasher on this team. He is. He's probably the best you know, one-on-one scorer. Just a guy who can go and get you a bucket whenever you need one. And It's funny, a lot of these conversations come back to Will Barton and the fact that uh, he's been missing time. Do you think trap games or real?
4: Uh, yeah, I, I mean... I I think they're real, I guess. I mean, I think there are games when you naturally just let your guard down.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's as much looking ahead to an opponent rather than trap games just come typically against bad teams and teams like the Nuggets let their guard down against teams that they're clearly better than. We've seen that for the past couple years. So I think they're real uh, in that respect. Does Mike Malone read and listen to podcasts? Does he read blogs, websites, and listen to podcasts?
4: Do you think he like listens to the low posts? I don't think he listens to the BSN. Olympics I'm not podcasts. sure if
1: he listens to podcasts, but I definitely think he gets wind of what we're saying. I think he reads stuff, too. I know he reads stuff. Was that supposed to be a pun? <laughs> Maybe. Finally, what will the rotation look like when Will Barton and Isaiah Thomas return to the lineup? I think the question we have to answer here is how many minutes will Monte Morris play? per game, when Isaiah Thomas returns to the lineup? What do you think?
4: Oh, man. I mean, look, Isaiah Thomas is going to play over him would, when he's healthy, I would have to imagine. Um, you know, depending on how Isaiah Thomas looks after a couple of games, I think that that could change. But Isaiah Thomas is going to get a shot, I would, I would have
1: to think. Do you think Monte Morris is still in the rotation when Isaiah Thomas starts playing regularly? Because I I think he will. I think Monte Morris will stay in the rotation. I think he will still get minutes when Isaiah Thomas is playing again.
4: Double-digit minutes, game in and game out? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: That is my prediction. I think Monte Morris has been too valuable. He's been too good to suddenly sit down for a guy who hasn't been healthy in a year. Well, I'm all for Mighty Might basketball, so I'm ready for that. All right. The last question we got was from Chris. I'm not going to play it here because we're running a little long, but Chris was wondering, what do we think of that stretch where we lost six of seven, the Nuggets lost six of seven, and what would wins over the Lakers and then looking ahead here over Portland and Toronto say about the Nuggets? The six out of seven stretch, I'll say it before I'll say it again. I don't think the Nuggets were necessarily playing that poorly in that stretch. Yeah, there's a game here, a game there that you'd like to have back, a possession here, a possession there. But overall, the Nuggets were losing to really good teams. They lost to the Bucks twice over that stretch, who are one of the best teams in the league right now. A lot of games on the road, too. I feel like the Nuggets were playing pretty well over that stretch. They were just coming up against really good teams and not really executing in the fourth quarter. So kind of taking a step back, I think they're closer to finding their rhythm and even were closer to finding their rhythm before – they beat the Magic well, than they were before that stretch when they lost 6-7. to seven. This is a big stretch, though, coming up. The Lakers, Portland, and Toronto. Three tough games. I'm assuming the Nuggets are going to be favored in one of those three. They'll probably be a slight favorite over the Lakers, I would say. Here on Tuesday night, they'll probably be underdogs against Portland and Toronto on the road. Look, I bet the Nuggets go one and two in this stretch. If they can go two and one, that's a huge win. And hey, if they go two and one, they might be the top team in the Western Conference uh, a week from now. What do you think they go over that stretch? I'll say two and one as well. Um, I think they go one and two. Oh, I think two and one's like best case, but I think they go one and two.
4: Yeah, I, I like two and one. The, the Nuggets are playing really good ball right now. I, I can't get over. That, that cleaning the glass you know wins projection based on their points total of between 58 and 59 that's wild
1: Are you bumping up the nuggets win total from where you had it preseason
4: Oh what did I have I think I said 49 initially I think I said 50 I don't know I'll say 50, like I think 51 or 52 is
1: is very very doable okay I said 50 I'm staying at 50. it's going to take me a lot it's going to take a lot to bump me off uh, the 50 game mark for this team. Yeah, I probably shouldn't change mine. It'll just look silly later. <laughs> <laughs> but you said it on a podcast. Nobody's going to record it. Nobody's going to bring it up uh, two, three months from now. All right. I think that's all the time we got for today, guys. Thanks for listening. If you got a minute, head on over to iTunes, drop us a five star review. It means a lot, it helps us grow the show. We love getting your feedback as well. If you ever got questions for the show, hit up the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1 800 BSN 8394. Hit me up on Twitter as well. If it's a longer question, don't be afraid to drop me an email. I communicate with a lot of you guys out there through email as well. And with that, talk to you guys on Tuesday.